0: I've given to Democrats, I've given to Hillary, I've, I've given to everybody. Because when I want something, I get it. When I call, they kiss my ass.
1: Yes, they do. I think the media would care.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got a feeling
1: there's something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
2: Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, i stuck in the middle
1: with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, so FM in L.A., 91.7 FM KYAQ on the central coast of Oregon, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, Oregon... 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio, 102.9 FM WLPP in Palinville, New York, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on the great AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, And streaming coast to coast and around the globes on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com says me. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll have a little bit more on that, um, well, a, a, a good deal more on that uh, comment you heard in the open quote there about uh, Donald Trump. When he wants something, he, uh, he gets it from politicians because he has paid them off years in advance. Yep. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us for our latest Green News Report. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. As we try to catch up with a bunch of stories that we missed over uh, what became a very busy holiday weekend.
3: <laughs> the, the news never stops.
1: No, it doesn't. But it was uh, going like crazy in particular over the past holiday weekend. So we're doing a lot of catching up this week for those, uh, for those days that we missed. Uh, But first today, the Commander-in-Chief Forum that was held on uh, on NBC on Wednesday night. It was moderated by Today Show host Matt Lauer. Uh, featured both uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. It was sponsored by the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA, held on board the decommissioned aircraft carrier Intrepid, now serving as a military museum in New York City. It really, it was, it was not a debate. It was uh, sort of two back-to-back town halls, uh, half hour each for Hillary Clinton and for Donald Trump. It was, uh, I would say, mercifully short wouldn't you, Desi Doyen? Oh yeah, that (laughs) was nice. Yeah, I know, at least as compared to those uh, uh, endless debates during the primaries. In any event, uh, here's a a bit of a sampling from uh, what we heard last night at the Commander-in-Chief Forum. My
4: opponent was for the war in Iraq. He says he wasn't. You You can go back and look at the record. He supported it. He told Howard Stern he supported it. So he supported it before it happened. He supported it as it was happening, and he is on record as supporting it After it happened, I have taken responsibility for my decision. Let me go to
0: another veteran. He refuses
4: to take responsibility for his support. Let me go to another
0: question. That is a judgment. Back in August when you admitted that you regret some of the things you said, you also said this. I can promise you this. I will always tell you the truth. It's true. So let me read some of the things you said. I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me. Was that the truth? Well, the generals under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton have not been successful. Do you know more about ISIS than they do? I think under the leadership of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, the generals have been reduced to rubble. They have been reduced to a point where it's embarrassing for our country.
4: We're going to work to make sure that they have the support They have special forces, as you know. They have enablers. They have surveillance, intelligence, reconnaissance help. They are not going to get ground troops. We are not putting ground troops into Iraq ever again, and we're not putting ground troops into Syria. We're going to defeat ISIS without committing American ground troops. So those are the kinds of decisions we have to make on a case-by-case basis. So is the plan you've been hiding
0: this whole time asking someone else for their plan? No, but when I do come up with a plan that I like and that perhaps agrees with mine or maybe doesn't, I may love what the generals come back with. I will continue. But you have your own plan. I have a plan, but I want to be, I don't want to, look, I have a very substantial chance of winning. Make America great again. We're going to make America great again. I have a substantial chance of winning. If I win, I don't want to broadcast to the enemy exactly what my but plan you're is. And con- let me tell you, if I like maybe a combination of my plan and the general's plan or the general's plan, if I like their plan, Matt, I'm not going to call you up and say, Matt, we have a great plan. This is what Obama does. We're going to leave Iraq on a certain but day. But you're going to convene a panel of, ju- of generals, and you've already said you know more about ISIS than those generals. Well, there'd probably be different generals, to be honest with you. I mean,
1: so that was uh, Donald Trump not being called out by Matt Lauer for uh, essentially suggesting a purge of the military, uh, removing all the generals if he becomes uh, president. Uh, that was Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton there. Uh, so uh, I want to talk about this. That just gives you a sampling. Uh, but let's talk about this and and the difference that was seen in the two candidates in that forum last night and the differences in the way that each were treated by moderator Matt Lauer. Now, Clinton's answers it seems to seemed to me uh, seemed very practiced. She seemed very cautious. She was at times defensive. She offered some serious answers, but was clearly unhappy almost immediately after getting the second question, and then five after that. About her private email server, which, as we now know, I don't know if Matt Lauer knows, but as we now know, uh, it included bad judgment at best, but absolutely no crimes. As the FBI has repeatedly pointed out, going so far as to say recently, after their long investigation into the matter, that it wasn't even a close call whether or not to recommend prosecution. There was nothing there, nothing there to prosecute. Now, those are the facts. A lot of people might you know, not like those facts. People who don't like Hillary Clinton might not like those facts, but those are the facts. Now, the next set of uh, questions for Hillary Clinton, and, and I'm going to talk uh, more, hopefully in a moment, about that email server because we've got some new news on that. But in any event, the next set of questions uh, were on her vote for the Iraq war, which after defending that vote for many years, she finally admitted was a mistake. She did that many years ago. She didn't seem happy to have to revisit the issue during the forum on Wednesday night. Nonetheless, she she offered serious responses to serious and difficult and complex questions on uh, all manner of things. What was described as her hawkish foreign policy uh, on the Iraq nuclear deal, problems at the Veterans Administration, the suicide epidemic among veterans, Uh, PTSD treatment and more. Um, That was Hillary Clinton. Now, Trump, for his part, and some may disagree with me here, but I'll explain my thoughts on this in a second. I thought Trump actually did very, very well, in truth. Many uh, complained afterwards uh, about his bashing U.S. military generals, saying they've been reduced to rubble. Uh, He reiterated his support for Russia and Vladimir Putin. He doubled down on a tweet last year in which he blamed rape in the military on women being allowed to serve in the military. What did you think would happen, he said in that tweet. So uh, a lot of people were critical of him for all of those things. And he offered an alarming string of complete BS in answer after answer after answer, all of which went completely unchallenged uh, almost by uh, by Matt Lauer, who, while offering tough questions to uh, Hillary Clinton, which I'm happy about, by the way, tended to offer let's say, softer balls to, uh, to Donald Trump. Questions like, uh, will you be prepared to be commander-in-chief on day one? And, uh, and other questions that weren't quite as specific and pointed as those that he, uh, that he gave to Hillary Clinton. Here's one example. But what
0: have you done and in your life that prepares you to send men and women of the United States into harm's way? Well, I think the main thing is I have great judgment. I have good judgment. I know what's going on. I, I've called so many of the shots. And I happened to hear Hillary Clinton say that I was not against the war in Iraq. I was totally against the war in Iraq. From a, You can look at Esquire magazine from 04. You can look at before that. And I was against the war in Iraq because I said it's going to totally destabilize the Middle East, which it has. It has Absolutely been a disastrous war. And by the way, perhaps almost as bad was the way Barack Obama got out. That was a disaster.
1: Okay. now, uh, speaking of disasters, uh, that question was complete BS that uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Trump's answer was complete BS that Lauer should have called him out on since the, the, the truth about Trump's position on the war has now been long known. And that he's been giving this uh, BS answer over and over again, and Lauer should have known in advance he was going to do that, and he should have been ready to respond. But since he didn't, we will do so very quickly. Okay, so a couple of points in that answer as to Trump at the at the end there, calling out uh, Obama for getting out essentially for getting out of Iraq too quickly, calling it a disaster. He. He has blamed that for the rise of ISIS. Uh, never mind that Obama wanted to stay in Iraq in 2009. He was bound by the agreement that was signed with Iraq by George W. Bush in 2007, long before Obama ever took office. But you know, never mind that, Trump himself wanted to get out years earlier. Trump was in favor of getting out long before Obama did. Uh, And no matter what would or wouldn't happen in the country, including the potential rise of ISIS that he's now critical of, but that Donald Trump back in 2006 had predicted would happen. But he didn't care anyway. Here was Donald Trump on CNBC in 2006 calling for exactly that, a swift pullout from Iraq no matter, no matter what may happen.
0: Well, what you have to do is get out of Iraq. You can do it nicely. You can do it slowly. That's What do we do? I'm- I would announce that we have been victorious in Iraq and all the troops are coming home, and let those people have their civil war. And by the way, no matter if we stay or if we leave, the most vicious person that you've ever seen, if he's, Saddam Hussein, is going to be like a nice guy compared to the one who's taken over Iraq. Announce victory, okay, get so them home. Soldiers. Let's say victory, tremendous, have a big thing in the streets, then get out real fast before you get shot. Let's get home. They hate us over there. They hate us over there. How do you solve that problem? You've got to get out of Iraq.
1: Got to get out of Iraq. you got to get out no matter what happens. That was Donald Trump in 2006. Now he's critical of Obama for getting out as per the legally binding agreement that George W. Bush signed in Iraq. Lauer didn't bother to call him out on that. Let it stand. And, you know, uh, American people uh, probably watched it and said, yeah, you know, it has been a disaster. I agree with Donald Trump. Now, as to even the easier fact check that Lauer could have done about Trump's position on on the war. And it was easy, if only because Hillary Clinton herself, who went first last night, um, she made it clear that, you know, despite Trump's repeated claims that he was against the war he actually wasn't. And it was funny. Trump says uh, in that comment, he said, look at Esquire in 2004. Well, the war was launched in 2003, back when Trump was in favor of it. Here he is saying as much on the Howard Stern show back in 2002.
0: But we have an idea who the enemy is, and a lot of times the politicians don't want to tell you that.
1: Are you for invading Iraq?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you know, I wish, it was, I, I wish the first time it was done correctly.
1: Yeah, but other than that, sure, let's invade him again. And yet he's allowed to get away with that lie. So he offered this uh, alarming stream, uh, string of, of total BS, but I'm arguing that he won anyway and that Dems should be very worried because guess what? I don't know that many Americans actually heard that alarming string of BS, particularly without a moderator willing to call him out for it. What they heard... And what they saw was a guy who was confident, uh, who said he would be, quote, 100 percent prepared on day one to be the commander in chief. And as with George W. Bush and his false bravado, the American people may well buy it again. A caller on yesterday's uh, broadcast noted that uh, I had called it on on Trump more than a year ago uh, and that, that I had said from day one he is the GOP Fox News id And I saw nothing to stop him from winning the uh, Republican nomination. This was back when most people saw that idea as preposterous. So, uh, you know, and I think many still regard the idea of him winning the presidency today as preposterous. I don't. Now, believe me, I hope and I I, I pray that I am wrong here. I, I don't have any special superpowers that allowed me to call it for Trump in the first place when he entered the race Uh, Back on June 16, 2015, other than paying attention to what is actually going on, as opposed to the nonsense that the bulk of the corporate media pretends is going on. You know, pundits and, and, and folks like me, we can fact check all we want, but there's an enormous chunk of American voters who don't give a damn about facts. They want someone to play the role of commander in chief, and Trump can do that. He has been doing that. And he can do that in their minds. He can be wrong about virtually everything all day long. He can know absolutely nothing about actual politics and details and realities. But as long as he's playing the role and, and he's not giving an inch to the ankle biting fact checkers, at least when and where they exist and they didn't exist last night, as long as he's doing that, he will be perceived as a president. America has fallen for it before, and you're in denial if you don't think that they can fall for it again two months uh, from now, as I'll discuss momentarily with my guest. Those are just the facts. I mean, Facts that don't seem uh, to mean much in, in the corporate media, uh, or certainly to Matt Lauer after his six questions on Clinton's not illegal and not criminal in any way private email server. But uh, today, uh, trending on Twitter was the hashtag lowering the bar.
3: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, So there is just a lower bar for candidates like Donald Trump than there is for Hillary Clinton. For whatever reason, call it the soft bigotry of Trump expectations, if you like. We will discuss some of the reasons for that and more evidence of it with my guest, Martin Longman, after this break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, speaking of bad reporting, speaking of lowering the bar, speaking of leveling an unlevel uh, playing field in a way that benefits an illegitimate candidate like Donald Trump and unfairly disadvantages a love-her-or-hate-her legitimate and highly qualified candidate like, uh, like Hillary Clinton... Last week at The Washington Post, in an item headlined, Here's a Tale of Two Scandals, Guess Which One Will Get More Play. Paul Waldman wrote, Whenever some new piece of information emerges about Hillary Clinton or people close to her, we're told that it raises questions of some kind, which means it's being shoehorned into a larger narrative that says something fundamental about her, that she's tainted by scandal or corrupt or... Just sinister in ways people can never quite put their finger on. Yet somehow, he writes, stories about Donald Trump that don't have to do with the latest appalling thing that came out of his mouth don't raise questions in the same way. They're here and then they're gone, obliterated by his own behavior. Without going into question-raising territory, Waldman goes on to lay out the difference in the way in which the corporate media is treating questions about the charitable Clinton Foundation, for for example, an enterprise that for years has raised and spent billions to provide aid and comfort to suffering men, women, and children all across the globe, and, by the way, has a higher rating than even the Red Cross uh, with, with Charity Watch. That versus what appears to be a very specific and illegal political payoff made by Donald Trump's charity foundation to a political organization supporting Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. Not long after she announced a potential investigation of the Trump University scam and after she had reached out to him for a donation I suspect you've heard the concerns in great detail about the Clinton Foundation and certainly Hillary Clinton's email server, where, as the FBI found, no crimes were committed. But the fact that Trump's charitable organization made a blatantly illegal payment to a political group and Trump even paid a fine to the IRS for it and was forced to pay the foundation back, that's just a blip at best in the corporate uh, media uh, news chain, it seems. Though he asked six questions to Hillary Clinton about her email server uh, last night, Matt Lauer failed to ask even one question about the confirmed illegal payment by Donald Trump's own charity foundation during that commander-in-chief forum on Wednesday night. Meanwhile, over at the New York Times, over the weekend, Paul Krugman, offered the disturbing point that we have seen this sort of pattern before. In a column headlined, Hillary Clinton gets gored, Krugman reminded us of the 2000 election when, as he wrote, one candidate, George W. Bush, was dishonest in a way that was unprecedented in U.S. politics. Most notably, he proposed big tax cuts for the rich while insisting in raw denial of arithmetic that they were targeted for the middle class. These campaign lies presaged what would happen during his administration, an administration that, let us not forget, took America to war on false pretenses, Krugman says. Yet throughout the campaign in 2000, most media coverage gave the impression that Mr. Bush was a straightforward guy while portraying Al Gore, whose policy proposals actually added up and whose critiques of Bush uh, were completely accurate. He was uh, portrayed as slippery and dishonest. Mr. Gore's mendacity was supposedly demonstrated by trivial anecdotes, none significant, some of them simply false. No, he never claimed to have invented the Internet, but the image stuck. And right now, Krugman says, uh, I and many others have the sick, sinking feeling that it's happening again. So could it be happening again? It's sure beginning to feel like it Uh, in recent days, both national and state polls have been tightening Uh, in general, while Trump has been gaining ground. Much of the narrowing in the polls has been due to Clinton's uh, numbers falling rather than Trump's rising. It's likely that a number of these perceived scandals uh, concerning Clinton have eroded her support. Uh, And yet, with all of the investigations and subsequent news reports into various concerns about Hillary Clinton, a blizzard of scandals by Donald Trump and his various organizations, including ones for which he has admitted now wrongdoing by paying these these penalties, these fines to the IRS, they don't even seem to be... Well, not ne- not nearly quite as sexy to the corporate media, or at least not covered with the same aggressiveness. Writing about all of this of late at Washington Monthly is our old friend Martin Longman. He's the founder and editor of the great progressive blog Boomantribune.com. He also now writes at the Washington Monthly's Political Animal blog, where he is also their web editor. He was also formerly a political consultant for Democracy for America, the organization formed out of the 2004 Howard Dean campaign. Martin Longman, welcome back to the broadcast. How are you doing? Great to be here. It's great to have you here, my friend, Uh, especially after... you know, I wanted to talk to you about all of this even before we saw what happened last night at that uh, commander-in-chief forum. Uh, So first, before we get into the specifics of the uh, tale of two scandals, uh, as Waldman described it at, at the Washington Post, I want to get your impressions on Wednesday night's Commander-in-Chief forum on NBC because I kind of sense that it may play into what we've been, uh, what you've been writing about, and uh, what I tried to describe in my intro there. Your general thoughts on those uh, back-to-back interviews between uh, with uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump last night and uh, Matt Lauer on NBC?
2: Well, he he seemed to be uh, inordinately interested in emails that had little to do with foreign policy. Um, And he just, it didn't seem like anybody who watched it gave it Mm -hmm. a good review. I mean, it was, um, he seemed unprepared. He he certainly gave the impression that he was going to press Hillary Clinton much harder than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trump, for example, claimed again that he had been against the war uh before it started the iraq war and uh he wasn't challenged on that yep so um and as you pointed out you know there's no discussion about any of the scandals uh surrounding donald trump uh so it seemed like a pretty unbalanced presentation
1: And uh, I believe that will redound uh, to Donald Trump's benefit, uh, as I mentioned a little earlier in the show. Let me uh, let's get into the specifics, since Matt Lauer couldn't find the time uh, concerning some of these scandals uh, concerning Donald Trump. Uh, Paul Krugman. Uh, wrote about a little bit about this over the weekend. He said, true, there aren't many efforts to pretend that Donald Trump is a paragon of honesty, but it's hard to escape the impression that he's being graded on a curve. If he manages to read from a teleprompter without going off script, he's being presidential. If he seems to suggest that he wouldn't round up all 11 million undocumented immigrants right away, he's moving into the mainstream. And many of his multiple scandals, like what appears to be clear payoffs to state attorneys general, To back off investigating Trump University, get remarkably little attention. That was uh, Krugman over the weekend before Matt Lauer went on to give it not just remarkably little attention, but no attention whatsoever. Uh, So uh, let's talk about this, Martin. What, What do we know about the Trump Foundation's payoff at this point? To Florida Attorney General uh, 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 Pam Bondi, uh, I know it's a lot less than we we know about Clinton's email server and and the Clinton Foundation. It seems.
2: Well, I mean, some of it is is something you have to look at the timeline on. You know, so there was uh, reporting um, that the Attorney General of New York State mm-hmm. was looking into Trump University uh, as a fraudulent organization because he had many complaints and some of those complaints actually were coming from florida or floridians Mm -hmm. but uh there was a news report about this um and because floridians were involved then they asked the office of the attorney general of florida Mm pambandi and they said that yes they had um gotten some complaints and that they were looking into it and then uh shortly after that uh trump's daughter uh made a five hundred dollar donation and then
1: to uh, uh, to pam Bondi, to the attorney general political Bondi, to, uh, the
2: attorney general right. right and then things get a little crazy the uh there's some dispute but there are reports that Bondi actually solicited a mm-hmm. contribution from trump mm-hmm. um and the timing of that would be after these reports had come out and after her office had said that they were looking into it uh... and that was reported in the press it's as if uh... it went into the press saying we're looking into you mr trump and then she calls him up and says can i have some money and then he delivers a check for twenty five thousand dollars to her and then she decides not to investigate it. Then the second thing is that when they did make this contribution of $25,000, they made it from the Trump, Donald J. Trump Foundation, Mm -hmm. which for how it's organized, it's illegal for them to use this charitable organization to make political contributions. So that in itself is a crime. Mm -hmm. And then showing some kind of evidence of guilt here, at least it seems that way, the way they reported it was um, they they reported that they were making this contribution to a similarly named organization in Kansas a pro-life organization rather than it reporting it as a contribution to Pam Bondi's PAC
1: so had they, had the uh, Trump Foundation a charitable organization supposedly had they given $25,000 to this Uh, charitable organization in Kansas, no problem. But they gave it to a political group in Florida that in and of itself is illegal, no matter how he reported it, that in and and of itself is a crime. And then what seems like either an accident or a cover-up in the way that he reported it to the IRS...
2: Yeah, I mean, their explanation was they have similar names. It was a mistake made by Mm -hmm. uh, his secretary. But the truth is that it covered up a criminal act so that the IRS did not immediately realize that they had made an illegal contribution. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that is why he's, because the IRS has discovered this, the true, you know, recipient of the $25,000, that's why he paid a fine. So he has now admitted his guilt and paid his fine. Uh, but what it looks like, certainly, is that on Pam Bondi's part, mm-hmm. she essentially let Trump know she was investigating him, asked for money, received the money, and then stopped investigating him. Thereby, mm-hmm. all these Floridians who felt ripped off by Trump University, they had no recourse Mm -hmm. after that. They had no prospect of getting any justice. And then from the Trump end of it, they appear to have paid for something that they knew was illegal and taken steps to cover their tracks. So, I mean, that's the basics of it. Um, And it's a pretty uh, clear cut thing. He he committed a crime. There's no there's no dispute about that. The only dispute is whether or not it was some kind of innocent mistake but
1: well there's also there's also the question i mean we know that he committed a crime in the uh you know in in his charitable organization paying uh money to a political organization that's a crime that he's essentially admitted to by paying the irs fine what we still don't know is if this was as the clinton uh, campaign has described this uh as as actual pay to play that he was uh, you know, essentially paying off the Florida attorney general to make the uh, investigation into his Trump university go away. That we don't yet know. Do or do we? Uh, that, I mean, it's a it it, it it doesn't smell good, but we don't yet know if this was a purposeful crime to pay her off, to buy her off. Do we?
2: Right. I mean, that's where you have to go look at the the actual timeline mm-hmm. of it to see. Uh, You're not going to get an admission Mm -hmm. from them, but you can see the timing of when articles appear in the paper, when she asks for the money, when she receives the money, when she stops the investigation, and so on. It's all within days of each other and lines up exactly as you would expect it to uh, if this were her asking for money in return for not investigating Mm -hmm. and him providing that money.
1: Yeah, if it were an actual pay to play, it certainly yeah. doesn't look good. And the reason I'm sort of giving the benefit of the doubt here is because, uh, you know, I, I, I guess you know my question is, uh, Martin Longman, if this came up, if we had evidence that Hillary Clinton uh, or even the, uh, the 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 charitable, the Clinton Global Initiative, uh, you know, had paid. Twenty five thousand dollars to a political organization for any reason, it seems to much less, you know, is something that uh, an organization that was investigating them and then the investigation goes away. It seems to me this would be a huge news story, Martin, and it wouldn't, you know, and and uh, the email stuff got six questions last night uh, from Matt Lauer. It seems like it would get a lot more questions had the exact same Scandal occurred uh, for for Hillary Clinton. Uh, Am I right about that? Do you agree? I I do
2: agree. And, you know, there's all kinds of double standards. I mean, the the Donald J. Trump Foundation, the charity that cut this $25,000 check, Mm -hmm. it was formed for him to supposedly give away the proceeds he made from his book Art of the Deal. So this charitable organization has been around since the late 80s. And it, gives out no money except to his friends and cronies. It holds no events except in his own hotel rooms and, and resorts and, and then it suddenly cuts a check for25,000 dollars you know for you know something that's this self-interested and criminal. And yet the Clinton Foundation uh, like you said in the intro, it has a a rating from Charity Watch. It, it's got a higher rating than the American Red Cross meaning. They're telling people who are thinking about giving money, this is a solid organization. You know, you can give your money and trust this organization is going to yeah. do something with it. That, yeah. You know, you'll be happy about. And obviously the Donald Trump Foundation is nothing of the
1: sort. It, it, uh, it, apparently it gave $100 to the March of Dimes and then <laughs> literally and then $25,000 Uh, to to Pam Bondi's organization. So what do you, uh, Marty, I I know I wanted to talk to you about this because you were around throughout, uh, you know, throughout all the Bush years. uh, And, uh, you know, it it feels like we have seen something like this before. What do you attribute uh, the difference in the way these various scandals, as Paul Waldman calls it, a tale of two scandals, Why? Why? When something is so obvious, um, and and would be covered so obviously differently, had the uh, Clintons uh, been involved with it, to what do you attribute the difference in the way the corporate media seems to approach uh, these two candidates?
2: It, it's a complicated question, and there's, a, I think, a, a variety of factors. I'll just try to mention a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that the right, I believe, the, the corporate media, as you're calling them, gets a lot more criticism from the right for accusations of bias, mm-hmm. accusations that they're, like, liberally, you know, temperamentally to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they go to try to create balance, it seems like they're always trying to compensate for that, you know. So I think part of it is just the, the right does a better job of, of working the refs.
1: That makes sense. Yes. Oh, no, it absolutely makes sense. And
2: and so I think that's that's part of it. I think there are certain institutions in the the media, like particularly the New York Times, that have been, I don't know how quite to describe it, but they have been on the Clinton's case, you know, Mm -hmm. since Whitewater. Mm -hmm. And they just seem to want to give them a hard time beyond what is merited and and it's it's almost specific to the Clintons, like not even that you could say they did this to Obama or they did this to Gore, you know. <laughs> um so I think that's part of it. And I think there's also just Trump fatigue. It's like he he before you can run down the problem with one story, he's created five more for you to run down. Yep. And so you're over here you got a story in the Wall Street Journal about his mob ties, you, you know. know? that could be as big as benghazi right. but before you can even get that in there now you're working on the next you know outrage
1: no, and so
2: that, i think part of it is just just so much stuff on trump trying to get one of those stories to stick and then hit it hit it hit it until it until it gets through to people it's just hard to do
1: well and so i think yeah now go ahead go ahead
2: so i think some of it i mean when you look at the variety of factors involved i mean some of it is bias against the Clintons and some of it is advantages that the right has and some of it is just unique to Trump but uh, you know you add it all up and you've got this situation where you have one clearly in my mind crazy person who's getting fairly close to the presidency and people are treating it as though this is a normal choice between two candidates Mm and it's just not
1: we discussed it a little bit last week with uh, the, the point you make, uh, Martin. Uh, we discussed it a little bit with Heather Digby Parton uh, about the. There was this uh, story over at Mother Jones about the Trump modeling agency. Uh, that what well, that scandal has barely been touched, and in, in which his agency, his modeling agency, is said to have instructed models uh, who came from overseas to lie about their immigration work status to U.S. custom officials. Uh, that story, uh, like the mob story you mentioned, has been completely uh, forgotten or glossed over or they moved on. Um, it, this does feel a lot like uh, not just the Bush-Gore campaign, but the Bush presidency itself when there were so many scandals, one on top of another on top of another, many of which I know you covered, Martin, or tried to uh, tried to keep up with. Um, it was nearly impossible to dig into any of them and I, I, I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing that again with uh, with Trump.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is. Uh, I mean, to me, I look at some of these things that he's done, and mm-hmm. it's like, why are we even still talking about this as a as an election as an option? You know, when you're asking the Russians to come in and break into our government servers and hack in and and steal emails from your uh, opponent, things like that. I mean. Uh, the world's gone a little crazy when that just gets yes. passed over after a couple news cycles, and we move on like all, it didn't. It didn't even happen, you know.
1: All, uh, all of which would be disqualifying to pretty much any other candidate. Certainly disqualifying if uh, Hillary Clinton had said it.
2: Yeah, yeah. You feel like it should be like the Gong Show, you know? Somebody says, "Okay, <laughs> you know, it's over. You just, you just ended, you know." your qualifications to run for this office, but it doesn't work like that. So there's still an election. You know, there's still an option. He's still moving up in the polls. He's moving down, you know.
1: Uh, let me hit on uh, one point you raised, Martin. I, I want to get your thoughts on this because you, you talked about the New York Times and how they've, uh, you know, had it out, as it were, for the Clintons for years. Um, is this a matter, I mean, because personally... I, I'm happy to see aggressive reporting. I'm, I am I don't have as much of a complaint with the New York Times uh, digging deep into what Clinton is doing uh, versus ignoring uh, what Trump is doing. Uh, you know, so it, it's not that I, I feel they're t- too hard on her. I feel they're not hard enough on all of the, you know, on, on the other candidates. As a matter of fact, Washington Post was covering that uh, story of Pam Bondi, the New York Times uh at least over the uh, holiday weekend I don't know if it's changed yet but they weren't co- New York Times wasn't covering it at all so is it a matter of New York Times being too hard on the Clintons or not hard enough on Donald Trump as as you see it
2: well i mean you gave that example right there that the New York Times had to be shamed by Krogman mm-hmm. uh, because they weren't covering the Tambondi part of this story uh, but to go back to the treatment of the Clintons by the New York Times, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been running a series of articles at the Washington Monthly on this where their coverage is very heavy on innuendo Mm -hmm. and what I call like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're, you're making a case that because somebody made a contribution to the Clinton Foundation and they actually have some business with the State Department, that this you know, automatically means there's some kind of foul play. And there's no proof of that. If you read their articles carefully, they'll say there's no proof of that. But still the whole pitch, the whole hook to the article is that there's something wrong here. You know, and you look into it and you say, the ethics department at the State Department said it's okay for Bill Clinton to go take a job working as a, uh, a spokesman for mm-hmm. this uh, for-profit university mm-hmm. um, But then the coverage of that story Makes it out to be That they invited this guy to dinner And the only reason they invited him to dinner Was so that he would give Bill Clinton a job You know the own Their own reporting is contradicting What they're presenting And right. what they're presenting is There's something There's smoke here There's got to be something here
1: And that's so but, wh- yeah,
2: There's not something there. When it comes to the Clinton Foundation and a lot of their other reporting that they're doing, if you look at it, there's nothing there. You have a very solid mm-hmm. foundation, charitable organization, that Clintons haven't taken any salary from this organization.
1: The, so, uh, Paul, Paul Waldman uh, over at the uh, Washington Post said if you as a journalist are going to say something that, quote, is that say that something, quote, raises questions, and if you know yeah. the answer to those questions... You have to say that, too. He said, you know, in this case, uh, you know, the answer is and pay attention to make sure you grasp this answer in all its complexity. No. So, you know, it's OK to raise the questions. But when you get the answers, uh, it seems like they should be reporting the answers at least as prominently as their uh as they're reporting the questions in the first place. Martin, I got just a, 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 w- about a minute here. Uh, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier on the on the show today. Um, but it, it doesn't also that I know you've, you've given uh, your uh, your thoughts about the, the, the way the media covers the candidates differently uh, and so forth. But um, doesn't a lot of this and the, really the success of Donald Trump uh, have ultimately to do with the fact that Americans Ultimately, don't actually care about policy, that they want someone that looks and feels presidential. They don't care if he actually doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's playing the part of the president. It's, you know, and and sort of the old who would you rather have a beer with question that, you know, was so popular to explain the, uh, you know, the Bush Gore election that, oh, people just liked Bush better. Um, is Do you sense that that is in play here? Because I have a great deal of concern that it is. I don't think uh, what should have been a very damaging uh, uh, performance last night by Donald Trump, I don't think it's going to damage him much at all. And uh, if I'm right about that, uh, what what does all of that say about about Americans and, and or the American media as you see it?
2: I think it's true that uh, a lot of times people make political decisions on some pretty superficial considerations um, and I think that's why a lot of you know posturing and 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 pandering um, is effective you know in politics um, mm-hmm. that you can get around being specific you can get around your ads uh, your 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 policies adding up and mm-hmm. um, and you can get called on this stuff and not pay the penalty that maybe that you should. Um, I think that's definitely true. You know, in the case of, of Trump, I think you know some of it is just a generalized frustration the American people have with the leadership that that we've had in this country over the last couple of decades, where you've gotten into wars with, with bad results, you've had a great recession uh, that destroyed a lot of Uh, wealth, that you didn't see the kind of accountability that you'd like to see. And so I think people are pretty frustrated, and they don't trust their leaders. The Republicans don't trust their leaders. They don't trust the press. Uh, And so when you get into that kind of situation, there's no referees left that are are trusted. Mm. And that makes it even, you know, I think what you're talking about is always the case, which is that, you know, the broad public isn't that informed. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think we're in a point in history right now where it's not just that they're not informed, it's that they don't trust anybody. And when you get into that situation, then a guy like Trump can get away with a lot more than he should.
1: And he seems to be getting away with with quite a bit. And uh, I fear, you know, I've been warning Democrats uh, for many, many months on this who have been very excited about the idea of running against Donald Trump. Uh, I said early on, be careful what you wish for. Uh, I think that's still true, despite the, the polling numbers. Uh, if I were a Democrat, I would not hold—I would not uh, exhale until November 9th at this point. Martin Longman, uh, always good to talk to you, sir. Uh, I hope you'll come back. Uh, founder and editor of the great Boomantribune.com. You can also find Martin at the Washington Monthly's Political Animal blog at WashingtonMonthly.com and, of course, on the Twitters at BooMan23. Thanks, Martin.
2: Uh, My pleasure, Brad.
1: Hope to do it again soon. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, that music means uh, it's time for our latest Green News Report. I want to get Desi uh, right to it because there's one more story I want to try to fit in (laughs) after we are done with today's Green News Report. So uh, let's go. Let's kick it. A 5.6 magnitude earthquake struck just after
0: 7 a.m. local time.
3: Major earthquake rattles Oklahoma linked to fracking. The bulldozers are still going, and they're yelling at the men in hard hats. Violent confrontation erupts at Standing Rock Sioux tribes pipeline protest. Typhoons in Asia, now 50% stronger than in the 1970s. Plus...
2: Today we are moving the world significantly closer to the goal that
1: we have set.
3: President Obama has formally signed the U.S. to the landmark United Nations Paris Agreement.
1: All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
3: Temperatures
4: last month shattered all previous records, including one record in Kuwait of 129.2 degrees Fahrenheit. No, I know 120 29 degrees sounds like a lot but it's a dry hell
1: yep (laughs) welcome to hell this is your green news report Okay, Dizzy Doyne, we take a day or two off for the holidays, and really all hell seems to break loose all over the country, all over the world.
3: Yes, so a lot to catch up on. Here's a quick rundown on some of the things we missed. In the Atlantic, Hurricane Hermine killed three people over the Labor Day weekend in Florida and caused major storm surge along the eastern seaboard, made worse, scientists say, because of rising sea levels. Over in the Pacific, two rare hurricanes that were threatening Hawaii did not make official landfall but caused storm surge and wind damage, and highlighted that Hawaii's new normal now includes being in the path of hurricanes thanks to warming ocean temperatures.
1: Because its old normal did not include hurricanes. They didn't used to hit Hawaii.
3: That's right. Hurricane Newton battered Mexico's Baja Peninsula after intensifying into a hurricane in less than 24 hours with what Weather Underground called, quote, frightening speed. Meanwhile, a new study concludes that typhoons in the Pacific Ocean near Asia are about 50 percent stronger than in the 1970s. The study in the journal Nature Geosciences did not find that typhoons were more frequent, but that they were more intense, with more storms reaching Category 4 and 5 level. The researchers blame warmer Pacific Ocean temperatures for providing more fuel to storms, but didn't identify whether that was due to man-made climate change due to a lack of long-term data. In North Dakota, a federal judge on Tuesday partially approved an emergency request by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe to halt construction on some, but not all, of a disputed section of the $4 billion Dakota Access Pipeline near their reservation. Over the holiday weekend, the pipeline company's private security personnel used dogs to attack Native American protesters who, in turn, were trying to stop bulldozers from tearing up what the tribe said are sacred burial sites. That judge is set to rule very soon on the tribe's broader request for an injunction to halt the pipeline's construction. In Oklahoma, Governor Mary Fallon ordered the shutdown of about 40 fracking wastewater injection wells after an earthquake measuring 5.6 hit the heart of fracking country on Saturday.
1: 5.6.
3: Yes, that's mm- a record.
1: Yeah, not one of these little uh, tremors that they've been having. This was a big one.
3: Yeah, it was felt across six Midwestern states wow. and seriously damaged numerous homes and businesses in Pawnee County and on the Pawnee Indian Reservation where six structures were deemed uninhabitable.
1: Uninhabitable. Yeah, we are now destroying entire homes. Yeah,
3: the disposal of toxic fracking wastewater into deep underground wells has been linked to Oklahoma's new status as the earthquake capital of the United States.
1: This needs to be underscored. We are causing earthquakes. And a lot of people seem to be just fine with that.
3: At the G20 summit in China over the Labor Day weekend, President Obama formally entered the United States into the historic Paris Agreement, joining the president of China, who also formally signed on to the accord in which all nations agreed to cut greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous man-made climate change. We
2: have a saying in America that you need to put your money where your mouth is. And when it comes to combating climate change, that's what we're doing. Both the United States and China. We're leading by example of
1: the world's two largest economies and two largest emitters. Our entrance into this agreement continues the momentum of Paris and should give the rest of the world confidence, whether developed or developing countries, that a low-carbon future is where the
3: world is heading. Together, the U.S. and China, the top two emitters in the world, account for about 40% of global emissions. The agreement comes into force when 55 countries representing 55% of global emissions sign on.
1: And remember how Republicans told us for years that China would never, ever, ever agree to cut emissions? Oh, yeah. China, India, all these countries that are still growing, and they're not going to stop doing what they're doing. A climate policy that does not
0: include massive energy consumers like China and India is essentially meaningless.
2: I don't think we can control the emissions from China and
0: India. We have statements from the leaders in China saying under no circumstances are they going to accept any kind of mandatory reduction.
1: They sure are wrong a lot. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. They're just wrong. They're wrong and wrong and wrong time and time again.
3: And nobody held, held, holds them up to it. Nobody and, stops it. And so.
1: America keeps voting for them. Yeah. So uh, the Republicans are always wrong. It doesn't mean the Democrats are always right. But the fact that uh, they won't, that people still vote for those Republicans, I would argue, means Democrats. Uh, You should take a closer look at what the hell they're doing and give the American people something to vote for. That's just me. Uh, One more story before we get out here. Uh, Very quickly, it is my mother's birthday today.
3: Happy birthday.
1: Happy birthday, Mom. Uh, But I don't want Dad to take any ideas from this story. So uh, this is uh, from Kansas City. A 70-year-old man charged with robbing a Kansas City, Kansas bank said he did it because he preferred a jail cell over living with his wife. (laughs) Lawrence John Ripple is charged in federal court with the Friday afternoon robbery of the Bank of Labor uh, at 756 Minnesota Avenue. According to court documents, Ripple handed a teller a note that read, quote, I have a gun, give me money. The teller complied, but instead of fleeing... Ripple took the money and then took a seat in the bank lobby, according to the documents. Uh, when a bank security guard approached him, Ripple told the guard, I'm the guy you're looking for. <laughs> the guard took the money from Ripple and held him until police arrived. When he was uh, questioned later by investigators, Ripple, <laughs> Ripple told him that he and his wife had argued, and he, quote, no longer wanted to be in that situation, according to the documents. <laughs> R- Ripple wrote out his demand note in front of his wife and told her he'd rather be in jail than at home. Ooh, wow. This is uh, from an FBI agent who wrote uh, in an affidavit filed in support of the robbery charge. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he really wanted to get out of there, didn't he? <laughs> Again, happy birthday, Mom. Dad, <laughs> don't get any ideas. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, Martin Longman of Washington Monthly, and of course to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other show, you can download them for free anytime at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review make it a little easier for everyone else to find us as well you can drop me email i'm bradcast at bradblog.com always good to hear from you there and on the facebook's and the twitter's where i can be found at simply the brad blog all right that's it thank you all we will see you soon until then i'm brad friedman good luck world